One light, two lights, three lights, four lights, five lights. Mercedes clinched their seventh consecutive Constructors' Championship with a 1-2 finish for Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas at the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix. Daniel Ricciardo swooped for third place as Verstappen saw his tyre fail and Racing Point pitted Perez under the late safety car. Hamilton is now potentially just one race away from his seventh World Championship. How did he achieve this latest win? My name is Aaron and in this 5 Red Lights episode I discuss Albon's demise, Giovinazzi's retention and argue Imola's case for staying on the F1 calendar. The five red lights are on, it's time to podcast. This is the Five Red Lights podcast, and we have just uh, enjoyed the 2020 Emilia Romagna Grand Prix around the uh, Autodromo uh, uh, something Enzo D. Enzo, yeah, the Imola circuit. I won't try and remember anymore what the actual name of the circuit is, so we'll just go with Imola. A um, bit of a slow burner race, although Mercedes eventually did come out predictably with the one-two finish, but not in the order they started. Valtteri Bottas, having taken pole position, was actually beaten to the flag by Lewis Hamilton. We'll get into how that happened. Uh, Max Verstappen, he suffered a major tyre failure, and this presented Daniel Ricciardo with the podium. Perez should have been on the podium, and Racing Point sort of messed that up. It's not looking good for Alex Albon, is it? Uh, He spun and ended up 15th. George Russell threw away a point. And really, Imola needs to come back. We're going to be talking about that as well. Um, I thought it was excellent to see cars going around there again. And I like the, the, the long run from Rivazza um, down the main straight. But we'll get into that a little bit later. So let's start off with a little race overview. And Mercedes are in seventh heaven with a 1-2 finish and their seventh straight uh, Constructors World Championship. I mean, it's just an unbelievable achievement. and. There's just so much more positivity about this than you can attribute to the six titles that Ferrari won. And we'll get into the comparisons in a minute. But first of all, let's have a look at the race. How did it unfold for, for Mercedes? So Bottas beats, for, uh, beats Verstappen and Hamilton to turn one. Hamilton actually got away quite well, but then suffered in the second phase. And Verstappen pounced with a little bit of extra slipstream uh, from Bottas, ironically. and. I think really Bottas would have gone on to win this race, but he, he collected a little bit of Ferrari, which was laying on the ground at, at Tosa Corner, turn seven, the hairpin. And this really compromised his race pace. And early doors, it looked like he was just pacing himself and just managing the gap, you know, as as they as they would like to do. And then he before his pit stop, he actually pulled out a gap. And then Verstappen went for the undercut because Red Bull could see that Bottas was starting to move away from the, from them, and they they pulled the pin. They had nothing to lose, so go for it. And afterwards, Christian Horner did say that they were trying to just beat Hamilton. And in, inver- inadvertently, they actually handed the race to Hamilton because they they 
they need to realise that Hamilton is just so good at looking after his tyres now. Gone are the days where everyone thought because of Hamilton's flamboyant style and his outright speed that he, he just tears tyres apart. You know, remember back to 2007, his debut season and that tyre failure at the Turkish Grand Prix, which is where we're heading to next, actually. Um, I think he, he came out of that race with only a handful of points. And if he hadn't had that tyre failure, he would have been world champion that year. So he's no longer that driver. He is constantly adapting, constantly improving. And I know in the heat of the battle, it's hard for Red Bull to, to try and factor that in. But you've got to remember that you're going to be pincered. So who are you going to bet, bet yourself against? Are you going to bet against Hamilton or are you going to bet against Bottas? You're better off trying to beat Bottas. Um, and they nearly did, to be fair, because Bottas was so hamstrung with this, with this uh, very, fairly large piece of Ferrari stuck to his car that it was actually very close when Verstappen uh, came round the final corner after Bottas exited the pit lane. But then they were always going to go longer with Hamilton, uh, were Mercedes. And it's just time and again, he, he pulls it out of the bag with the speed and the care of the car. I mean, how often do you see Lewis throw it in the wall? We, we don't see it from Bottas very often, but look, look back to Mexico last year where he made a mistake and ended up in the barrier and they had to rebuild the car. Where was the last time you saw Lewis Hamilton in a Mercedes go off the road and rip three corners off of it? I, I can't remember it. It's, he just... He's so, I won't use the word perfect because no one's perfect and he's always striving for perfection, but he's so consistent and precise with what he's doing with the car and always seems in control of what's going on. Even though over the radio he's, ah, I know my tires are gone. My tires are whatever. As soon as you hear that, in comes uh, repeated faster slaps and exactly this happened again. So once he got the free air, off he went. And obviously, Bottas by this point was holding Verstappen up. Had Verstappen got ahead immediately of Bottas or jumped him in the pit stop, it would have been an absolutely titanic battle between the two of them. And it, it was heading this way anyway. We would have seen a, a really close battle, I think. And anyone who says the early stages of the race were boring. Um, I think without being unfair or mean, they need to recognize a race for what it is. Sometimes a race is amazing and exciting, but has no overtaking. And a prime example to use at Imola is the 2005 race. Schumacher started 12th, Alonso started on the front row, and Alonso was out in front after, uh, after Raikkonen retired. But Schumacher put in this series of laps on lower fuel and brought himself right into contention. And for the last 15 laps, Schumacher was hunting Alonso down. He couldn't pass him, but we had this amazing finish. And we could have got this if we hadn't had the virtual safety car. Um, and again, similar to, to the British Grand Prix last year, 
where Hamilton ran longer than Bottas and then the VSC comes out, it kind of just puts the race in his lap. But in fairness, by this point, Hamilton had needed to open up a gap of about 27 seconds, 28 seconds really to be safe. But the gap was around 28 and a half when the virtual safety car did come out. I think Mercedes probably would have gone a couple of laps longer and Hamilton would have had the buffer. But then he's got to get his tyres up to temperature and then there's a chance for Verstappen maybe to pounce on Bottas or, you know, it could have all been crazy. You know, if, if, if Hamilton had a bad pit stop, if something had gone wrong, then that would have been something exciting to watch. But alas, the virtual safety car intervened. Um, we've, we've got this, this question of should the VSC uh, close the pit lane? You know, it's part and parcel of racing. You can put it under the safety car. Let's not go back to the ridiculous rule that they had um, back in the mid-2000s where you had to wait for the pit lane to reopen. But then that was when they had refueling. Cars were running out of fuel and they, they put it anyway and, and got penalties for it. So it is what it is. It's part of racing, you know, managing the safety car periods around your pit stops and around your car and your race plan is just as important as keeping all four wheels pointing in the same direction and going forwards. Once, once he got in front, though, Hamilton, he never looked back. He just took off his scarpered. And Bottas did a brilliant job with his car handling, I think it was like 50 points of downforce, Mercedes said that he'd lost, which is just ridiculous. That is, that is like going from driving on you know, track to driving on water. Almost, it's just ridiculous. So he did make one mistake, and he held off Verstappen, and then he made a second larger mistake at the at the Rivazza corners, same place as he'd made the mistake before. Um, but Verstappen did a really good job. He didn't crash into the back of him, which could have been easy to do. It shows the, the the skill of these drivers, and you know Bottas. Obviously, he's going to be slow on the apex and try and slow. Verstappen up, which is the right thing to do with the race craft and get a good run out. And he did. It, you know, Verstappen didn't breeze completely by him. Obviously, he was ahead coming into the braking zone, but I think by that point, he'd, he had enough of a, a speed overrun and the racing line because Bottas had to defend. But still, you know, that's better from Bottas, even though he's battling a, a car that was not handling brilliantly because of the damage and the, the debris stuck in his car you know without that he would have comfortably gone on to win this race so well I, I say I think he would have pulled away early doors and I don't think he would have needed to pit when he did because he would have had a bit more of a gap so you know it's bad luck for Bottas but again Hamilton is given the opportunity to go and take the race and off he goes takes it with both hands runs and never looked back he held off Bottas at the restart and I think he won by five seconds in the end so you know you can't you can't complain about that so well done to Hamilton Mercedes clinched their seventh constructors world championship just uh, a team that is so functional in all the right ways and they do it with such humility and positivity you know the, the ferrari years were tainted with 
Schumacher is number one and everybody else has to just sort of hand it to his whim. So for, for Mercedes to have won seven and gone through the, the toxic relationship between Hamilton and Rosberg in 2014, 2015 and 2016, and to then integrate Bottas and a rule change and then another rule change and Ferrari's engine might be a little bit dodgy. To have survived all of those things being thrown at them and done it with the style and the, the positive nature that they have around that, that group, they, they don't blame each other. When there's a problem, they... They lean on each other. They pick each other up when something goes wrong and, and they go again and they, they improve and they, they work on things together. You know, it's, there's no blame culture. It's a brilliant working atmosphere. I found myself working in one of those um, sort of companies and I'm still working in that company because it just makes you feel so wholesome. It makes you feel good. You know, if you have a bad day, then someone's there to pick you up. You know, you've got a friend in your workplace who will put a smile back on your face you've got bosses who will look after you when things aren't so great who will look out for you when you are in trouble and who will praise you and reward you for doing your best and succeeding and toto wolf has developed this this culture and that he's looking for his replacement and it's really important he gets it right i think he will i have faith in him to do that and he'll he'll move up the ladder a little bit, so he'll still have a, a say in what's going on. But to have cultivated this atmosphere and this um, this uniform of standard across the board within the team, it's just a fantastic achievement. And rather than people be, I know, I know it's frustrating not having that that battle and that that real tension at the front, but rather than people be, you know bogged down by it look at it for what it is and applaud it it is just fantastic and if you compare it back to the ferrari years with john tot and, and ross braun and michael schumacher there was always that nagging our uh, team orders and did they do this and you know were things how they should be you know in a, in a sporting context but there's been none of that with mercedes they've used team orders very lightly and not easily, only when they've had to. And it's it's just a, a brilliant organization and they fully deserve uh, the success that they've been achieving and they will continue to achieve it. So let's have a look at everybody else's uh, race weekends and We'll start with Max Verstappen because he was challenging the Mercedes throughout the um, the course of the race, and he probably would have, without Bottas getting his way, he would have challenged Hamilton for victor for, for, for being the vic, being the victor uh, today. And if he hadn't succeeded, he would have had a fully deserved P two before his tire blowout. Now. It's hard to to criticize anybody for this because you can't clear up every single piece of debris because we'd have safety cars every four or five laps. 
Now, I know that would, would make for great viewing, but then the drivers themselves become, you know, at risk of things going wrong. And obviously, Imola has a tragic history of these things going wrong after a safety car period. And we don't need to talk too much about that because it's it's well known. So I think Verstappen was just simply very unfortunate and in some ways lucky to escape with only spinning into the into the gravel trap and then the safety car came out because they needed to remove that car so a bit of bad luck for him alex albon we're going to talk about in a minute uh, a little bit more deeply but let's say we've been here before charles leclerc not really another rabbit from the hat performance but very simply, he maximized the tools at his disposal. P7 on the grid in qualifying, able to find a pace and balance in the car where Sebastian isn't, managed his way to P5, couldn't hang on uh, against Kafiat, and lost the P4 at the restart. But he did hold off Sergio Perez for that P5. Sebastian Vettel, on the other hand, he could have had some points, I think, today. and. He had a really good run from 14th on the grid, starting on the mediums, went deep into the race, but had a wretched pit stop, and it just scuppered any chance of points thereafter. 13th place, and more disappointment, because he could have had, I think he would have had an 8th or a 9th, which for, for Vettel is, you know, why bother? Because he's a four-time world champion who counts victories. So, you know, it's... It's a sign of where he's at with that Ferrari and, and where Ferrari have dropped to over this year. But he'll be looking forward to that fresh start with Aston Martin. And talking of that team, Sergio Perez should have been on the podium, but ultimately it was a bad call to stop him under the safety car. Battled really hard to regain those places, uh, but it is a huge chance missed. And really, they put themselves in a great position, racing point, and then they threw it all away because Sergio ran long one of the kings of tyre preservation. He gained massively from Magnussen holding everybody back, um, those who had already stopped, so Ricardo and Leclerc and Kafiat and Albon. Uh, and he re-emerged in that gap ahead of them and was plain sailing to, to P4, which would have been P3, if they hadn't stopped. His teammate Lance Stroll, a uh, bit of a difficult weekend, 15th on the grid, had a lap time deleted in Q2, struggled to make much progress in the race uh, after having his front wing broken on the first lap. Skittled his uh, front jackman in the pit lane too for good measure. Not a good day for Lance. McLaren, uh, Lance, uh, Carlos Sainz and Lando Norris kind of stuck um, in tandem, these two, because they're so evenly matched and they qualified ninth and tenth, and they finished seventh and eighth in in opposite order. So Norris outqualified Science, and then Science managed to get the pass done on Norris early on with the DRS. Uh, but that was where they stayed. They were on the back of the train that was behind Daniel Ricciardo, Leclerc, Albon, Kafiat, but they just couldn't make any progress. Uh, but we'll get on to why that might have been uh, not just for them, but for everybody. Uh, for Carlos Sainz, he said it was a well-executed race from his side of the garage, and he finished seventh after starting tenth. Lando Norris, not a lot we could do, he said, uh, bemoaning the lack of pace advantage to make the overtakes. Eighth from ninth on the grid. So 
good points for McLaren, and they're still in the fight for uh, third place in the constructors. And if they keep just chipping away with these double point scores, eventually they're going to get the break uh, where they're going to be in front of Renault and, and Racing Point, and they're going to take the big points because um, they've got two drivers who are, who are consistently scoring and are consistently there. Even when one of them drops out, so Norris dropping out of the Eiffel Grand Prix, he was dropping out from sixth place, whereas uh, Lance Stroll was uh, way down the order. And we're going to touch on Esteban Ocon, who DNF'd um, from 12th place. So moving on to uh, Ocon and his Renault team. Ocon suffered a problem with debris in the brake duct early on. I think it was a tear-off. Uh, it meant he had to stop early. Uh, clutch issue. And then finally, a drive shaft failure ended his race, and he brought out the virtual safety car, which handed victory to Lewis Hamilton. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo, second podium. He stealthed his way into this podium, really, because uh, he used the madness behind at the restart to build a buffer and warm his tires and then held off Kafiat's late charge. But really, he, he kept himself in play because Verstappen, his tire blew up. That promoted everybody. And then when Perez pitted, he didn't. And obviously, the smile on his face, well, it would have burst his helmet because you know what Daniel Rick's uh, smile is like. Alpha Tari, well, really, these two were stars of the show really the alpha tower team stood out brilliantly this weekend um gasly qualified so well in p4 lost the place at the start and then the gremlins that had been on the grid came back and he had to retire early he think i think he would have uh scored some really solid points kafiat scored a fourth place gasly probably would have been there um maybe he would have even been on the podium but we'll never know. We'll never, never know. You know, it would have been amazing to see Gasly on the podium uh, the week that he is confirmed as staying with Alpha, Alpha Tauri for next season. Uh, Daniel Kafiat did an amazing job, got that P4, kept himself in the hunt, and then boxed for the softs under the safety car. Clever double pass on Perez and Albon. Moved past Leclerc with a brave move on the outside at Piratella. And... You know, it's not bad for a guy who's probably heading out the door at the end of the season. Alfa Romeo, Kimi Raikkonen, Antonio Giovinazzi uh, will remain there next season. Ninth for Raikkonen, 10th for Giovinazzi. So a handful of points for those two. Could Raikkonen hang on a couple more laps and then benefited hugely from the safety car? We'll never know, but the team weren't to know that the safety car was going to come out because of Verstappen's tyre. Giovinazzi. He's sticking around. We'll uh, discuss that a little bit more in a few minutes. Um, so as for now, Mick Schumacher is heading, looks like he's heading to Haas. Uh, but is Giovinazzi really a long-term bet? Haas, talking of them, uh, Grosjean hardly noticed this weekend because he wasn't crashing. He wasn't fast. And he's not at Haas next season. Kevin Magnussen tangled with Vettel on the opening lap before running really long into the race, which helped Perez gain the track position. Uh, but then clunky gear shifts gave him a headache before retiring. Oh, George Russell. Oh, dear. He probably would have ended up in ninth. It was looking so promising for George. But he dropped it and he crashed behind the safety car. A stupid mistake, he called it, and something to learn from. 
but the car was good for Williams this weekend and ran where it was on merit in George's hands. Nicholas Latifi, he almost capitalised on his teammate's demise, ended up missing out on points, though, with another 11th place, 11th, 11th place finish, if I can get my words out. Uh, not looking out of his depth in Formula 1, so that's good for him. Looking good for Williams next season, who have confirmed that those two are staying. Latifi brings the car home, uh, so if they can improve the car enough, I think he will shine, and George will um, just sort of explode in terms of scoring points and really challenging that midfield. All right, so that's everybody's race, but we've not mentioned Alex Albon. Um, we've been here before, as I said, and I think that's the end of his run with Red Bull. The drive, it's it's gone now. So what we're waiting for is essentially confirmation of who's coming in. Is it Hulkenberg? Is it Perez? Could it be somebody else? I mean, we, we think Yuki Tsunoda's going to be at the Alpha Tower next season. Could they just chuck him straight in the Red Bull? I don't think they'll be making uh, that choice. But, I mean, Alex, oh, there's a good driver in there. But it's just so frustrating. He can't get on top of the car. Whether it's because the car has developed too much around Max Verstappen, only time will tell if they put a Hulkenberg or a Perez in that car. Um, or is he just struggling under the pressure and he can't get on top of it? There was a reason why they let Gasly go, because he got sort of stuck inside his own head and he didn't operate in the way they wanted him to, to maximise that car. But I think they're beginning to see a trend. And Alex, this weekend, it was... Uh, the, the pace was there for Alex. But he just, you know, he, he said he got stuck behind um, other cars, so Ricardo and Leclerc. But really, he's got to be qualifying ahead of them. And the, the only time he's qualified on the second row this season, he went on to get a podium, which was in Mugello. But even then, he still had to fight for it. He still ended up down the order slightly. But we know how good he could be. And this is the frustrating thing. He could have won in Austria, the opening race of the season. I think he he would have gone, if he'd got past Hamilton, he would have breezed past Bartas as well. So the ability is there, but have Red Bull promoted him too quickly? Um, I'm doing some research into a video on this, so I'll have a little bit more information on it, uh, hopefully soon, if I can get the video put together but so is it a poison chalice I, d I don't know but for Alex it, it's all over now because a, a really good opportunity for him and he should he should have it's just I'm struggling to find the words because it's so frustrating he he gets himself stuck and he, he Okay, it was tricky to overtake, and he could not get past the cars in front. Okay, he, he said that they should have pitted for the softs, but then even Perez pitted and couldn't make his way back up the order. Where would Albon have been? He probably would have just ended up where he was. But then to go and compound his misery with that mistake, and I can understand from his perspective in the car, he... he 
he feels the 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 rear go light and it swaps ends and he assumes oh somebody must have hit me because you know i'm not saying that they're arrogant enough to believe that they couldn't have made that mistake especially alex he's quite a humble humble guy but you know to for his team to then say well yeah we th- you know it doesn't look like that and then almost say that he he was hit you know it does wonder what just make you wonder what they're doing whether they want to just you know sort of leave him be and just let him think whatever rather than develop him and just sort of give him the honest truth i think i think he'd prefer that but with that spin you could just see the drive going away i think it was already gone before then but you could just see as it's as he as he spun there went his chances of a red bull seat for 2021 Really a shame because doors are closing and he doesn't look likely to to be on the grid in 21. You know, he he could end up as Red Bull's reserve driver, Red Bull and Alpha Tauri reserve driver, and then doors might reopen for 2022 if he can break free of the system. But, you know, Gasly wants to break free of the system as well to, to find his peak because he's starting to join together all of those good bits that he can do. So for Alex, it, it's, it's a real shame, but it, the writing has been on the wall and it's, it's difficult to, to find anything positive to say for Alex at the moment, other than we know how good he can be, how good he could be, that there will be a time, and it's coming up soon, where potential ability just becomes unfulfilled and you become a man or woman, if, depending on what sport you're in and what you compete, uh, who has ultimately failed in what they are seeking to achieve. So Albon's going to be probably uh, out of a seat next season, but someone who is staying and is it's equally as puzzling um, is... Giovinazzi, Antonio Giovinazzi confirmed as teammate to Kimi Raikkonen, Alfa Romeo uh, announcing both of their drivers to stay uh, on Friday morning. Kimi, I can understand because he's a world champion and he's still a class act. Although I'm still, I'm still, hmm. <laughs> could they put someone slightly younger and just as fast in that car? You know, someone like Hulkenberg or Perez, you know, whoever doesn't. Uh, get the seat at Red Bull that seems to be available and then Giovinazzi on his good days he's good and he's had some good days recently which mm, I considered to be too little too late because for most of the season I know that Alfa Romeo has not been that great but for most of the season he's just doesn't get out of Q1 while Kimi can and you're seeing George Russell get out of Q1 on multiple occasions. And then, okay, he has these amazing first laps, which elevate him up the order. But then so did Lance Stroll. But it's easy to, to do that when you're qualifying at the back. You're qualifying at the front and cars are slightly more equal. You know, holding a position is as, gain, is as good as gaining a place, really, sometimes. So for Antonio, I think it's, it's uh, one year's grace really, because they weren't sure what to do with Schumacher. And 
they they might have a problem if uh, Callum Eyler or Robert Schwartzman come up and win the F2 Championship instead of uh, Mick Schumacher. Because then it's almost like, well, we're kind of obliged to give one of these boys a seat or do something with them, F1 related. So Ferrari are kind of putting themselves in a little bit of a corner here. I'd have kept, I'd have kept my options open a little bit more, uh, see what happens with the F2 Championship and then work from there. Not convinced by Giovinazzi. He does have these slightly erratic moments. Um, but if he delivers, he does deliver. And he got P10 at, at the, at the uh, Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix. And, you know, he scored some points in the last few races. He's, I mean, they've only got four points between each, uh, Kimi and, uh, and Antonio, so eight points between them. But you know, it moves them ahead of Haas. It moves them ahead of Williams. And that, that's important for prize money. So. You know, with the equipment they've got, they're probably doing the best they can. I still don't understand why you'd keep Giovinazzi. Surely you'd put someone young in there and you know, really give someone a shot. If you've, Giovinazzi's not going to win a world championship. I don't think he's going to end up in a Ferrari and win races. Mick Schumacher will end up in a Ferrari and he might win races. Callum Eilat, maybe, maybe not, but, you know, Give him a chance. He might just come alive. Robert Schwartzman, they've got high hopes for him as well. And they've got other drivers like Giuliano Alessi, who's part of the FDA. But Giovinazzi is the man who's got the job. He's got the seat for next season. So, you know, as long as you've got it, you've got to do your, your damnedest to keep it. And whatever he's done behind the scenes, it's working. I'm, I'm not suggesting he's up to Skullduggery. It might be he has some excellent technical feedback and he develops the car really well. Um, but you know, I'm not, we're not privy to that. But from the face value, I don't think I don't think Giovinazzi did enough to keep his seat. The powers that be at Ferrari and Alfa Romeo view it differently, and ultimately, it's their opinion that counts. <laughs> Okay, so our final point then for this episode, episode 20 of the Five Red Lights. Um, Imola, it should stay. Oh, it was so good to see cars around Imola again. I mean, as a young boy growing up, race three or four was always the San Marino Grand Prix. And it was one to look forward to, obviously the, the history, but it was just such an exciting race. And it was a home race for Ferrari. The Tifosi were partisan in their support for the red cars and produced some, some interesting races. Not always exciting, but some interesting races. I mean, 1999, David Coulthard got held up behind traffic and that allowed Schumacher to win on a one-stop strategy. Schumacher versus Alonso in 05 and 06. Ralph Schumacher took his maiden win there in 2001. Um Jensen Button got his first pole position there in 2004. So it's a race, it's a racetrack where things do happen. Some interesting things happen. So it's it's not all doom and gloom. And obviously with the with the long run from Rivazza 2 down through um, the, the left-hand kink, or the right-hand kink of the main straight now, and then the left hand before Tamburello, it's got a, a an increased opportunity of overtaking. I don't think would have seen any overtaking really if we'd had the chicane and then the run to Tamburello or from Rivazza to the chicane. Um, that run 
with the DRS, it really opens up some more opportunities. I don't think they got the DRS distance correct because we've gone from Portimao where it was sensationally overpowered and cars were just breezing past each other uh, left, right and centre to a track where it just wasn't quite close enough. There was a couple of times where Hamilton had DRS against Verstappen early on and then Verstappen had DRS against Bottas after their pit stop and you thought, oh, it's, it, it's going to happen. But it didn't happen unless the car coming out of Ravazza was pretty much uh, hanging on to the rear rear wing of the car in front. So if you added another 100 meters to that, because I think the, the DRS uh, uh, opening zone was on the start-finish line. So if you make that another 100 meters before that, so it takes in part of that that right-hand sweep, which they don't really notice in an F1 car with the amount of downforce they've got on at the moment. Um, I think you get enough of an overspeed to at least put, put drivers next to each other in the braking zone. And that's what we want to see. You want to see a battle for it. You don't want to see drivers just breezing past like they were um, into Turn 1 at Portimao. You want to see where they're still having to battle on the brakes because when they hit the brakes, the DRS closes and then it's who's got the confidence in their car to, to keep their car balanced and make the most of the corner. Can the car with the DRS, are they on the outside or are they on the inside? And it becomes a real real job to, to make the overtake. And also, you know, you've got a chance to defend. And defensive driving is just as much an art as attacking driving and making the overtake. And sometimes... Like I mentioned earlier with the 2005 San Marino Grand Prix, watching defensive driving is just as exciting as watching attacking driving. Because obviously without defense, if you, without uh, attack, you can't have defense. So if they can return there, that would be amazing because it's such a beautiful venue. It's a wonderful racetrack. It challenges the drivers. And as you saw, when Verstappen had his accident, he was perfectly safe. There was a gravel trap. The safety car came out. We got an exciting finish. It works. Mugello, it worked. Monza, again, wider race track, but narrow barriers. It works. We're going to turn up in uh, Abu Dhabi and nothing's going to happen because overtaking there is either too easy or impossible. And there's nowhere for the cars to make a mistake and be punished for it. Bahrain will be different because there's enough um, variability there with the with the corner layouts, and we generally get an exciting race with the DRS helping along its way. Turkey is going to be very fun to watch, especially around Turn Eight. So these sort of tracks like Imola, Turkey, Mugello, they need to be retained. And I, I saw someone tweet uh, before a few weeks ago about having a, a rotary system for the racetracks. Don't think the circuit promoters would agree to that really, but it is a brilliant idea. You know, have if you want to have 25 races in a season, you need to have a mixture of some new new places to go to, but you need to retain that old heritage. And maybe we have, especially with some of these tracks that are struggling to, to find the fees to host a, a track year on year. So Maybe we don't go to Germany one year. We go to we we have two races in Italy, so we have one 
at Monza, one at Mugello or Imola. And then we, the next year, we maybe have one race in Italy and then two races in Germany. Or, you know, I'm sure it can be done. I'm sure there is a way to do it. But it's just up to the, to the lords at Formula One to, to find it. And wouldn't it be brilliant to have these tracks on the calendar on a regular basis? Um, also, it stops, stops teams sort of building up these massive banks of data. So you go to a track and they just almost plug in a setup, like they've saved it on the F1 2020 game, and off they go. Obviously, track conditions change, and if they resurface and still have to work a few bits out, and they have to change it for their cars of that that year. But it could still work, couldn't it? Let's hope so. Anyway, I think I've uh, chatted about the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix enough. Um, so thanks for listening, and check out our other podcasts. Download them and give them a listen and send us some feedback um if you have any to share with me and check out the five red lights twitter uh, at five underscore red underscore lights check out our instagram five red lights check out our youtube just search five red lights check out our website everything's going to be uh, in a nice link in the description um so you can find it on a nice link tree and check out our videos on youtube and obviously if you're in any part of the world at the moment stay safe because covid is apparently coming back and it's coming back with a vengeance so stay safe everyone stay racy and i will see you after the turkish grand prix uh actually i'll see you before the turkish grand prix we're going to preview that race uh next week so my name is aaron this has been the five red lights podcast and that's the checkered flag <laughs>